Well, good morning, Seabreeze. It's good to see all of you here today. I uh, also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We're glad to have everyone with us today. It's a little over two months ago, I asked all of us to uh, go before God and prayerfully consider what it is that He might want us to give to this effort that we've been calling Next Move. Our goal uh, was to raise $2.5 million over three years. And if we were able to accomplish that, that would allow us to build a new kids building, which is the largest remaining piece in our campus master plan. It would also allow us to expand our basketball courts over here. Now today, I'm letting you know what God did in our hearts collectively. So again, the goal was $2,500,000 over three years. As of this week, the total given and pledged to be given is $3,646,000. Only God could do this. So let me, uh, let me tell you where we go from here. Our next step is to begin construction. The city, just this past week, completed the first round of plan checks on our construction documents, which allows us to now send this project out for bid. So be praying in the weeks to come that the bid comes in at or below the estimates that we've received. Then, depending on what that number is, we will then know how much we can do beyond the kids' building and the basketball court's expansion. Our plan had been, after we complete this building, to chip away in the years to come at the smaller pieces of the master plan, because every piece after this is kind of a smaller piece, and we thought, well, let's just chip away at that over the years. But now, it looks like we're going to be able to do much more than just chip away the rest of our master plan. Now, when I first got word of the levels of generosity that God had led us to give, I thought of these verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, I knew, starting into this effort, that it would be a miracle for God to lead us to give $2.5 million in the middle of a global pandemic with all of that uncertainty. But this, well, <laughs> this is immeasurably more than anything I'd asked or imagined. And the question is, why would God do something like this among us? Well, the answer in this verse is, he does these things according to his power, which is at work within us. So it's not his power and we stand by and watch. No, we get involved, which we are. But it's his power at work through us that does this. And it says, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. He does this to bring glory to himself, and that glory shows up in churches like this, and it brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. So, we're not just responding to a challenge, we're responding to God on this matter. He's the one that, that deserves honor and glory for this. So join me uh, in just in prayer and thanks and honor to him before we continue with today's message. Father, we, um, we have seen your hand at work through this. 
and we bring honor to you. You are the one that spoke to each of us individual, individually. You're the one that brought to the surface all of the issues that our unique situations brought to bear on this challenge. And you spoke, and many, many have responded. And we honor you. We thank you. We pray now that as we move into the future, that you would, we pray that the, the bids would come in at or below the estimates that would allow us to accomplish a significant chunk of all of what needs to be done to complete this campus so that for generations to come, your name would be spoken here and you would gain honor and glory for yourself in this location. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, go ahead and take out your message outline. It contains the thoughts I want to share with you this morning. On Monday, I think we all know our governor issued an order that put Orange County, along with 94% of Californians, back into the most restrictive tier. In this tier, churches, houses of worship, are not allowed to meet indoors. So, here we are, back outside, and very grateful for the nice weather that allows us to still meet together outside. But there are a couple of challenges that are looming on the horizon that puts this ability, the ability to do this outside, in jeopardy. I mean, we can't do this if the weather's bad, like it was two Sundays ago. And, as we've just talked about, we plan to start construction, hopefully in about a month or so, on this location. So, what are we going to do then? Well, that is a question that I, along with the leaders of Seabreeze, have been wrestling with for some time now. My hope had been that we would never have to face this situation. I just thought we might be able to skate by without ever having to make this decision. I was hoping, and again, COVID is the great hope killer of the year, but I was hoping that we could stay in the less restrictive red tier that we've been in for a while as a county, which allows us to meet indoors as a church like we had the last two Sundays. Well, that hope ended for me on Monday and I realized that may not be possible in the near future. I mean, as I said, we can meet outside today, but weather and construction make this an uncertain future. So it seems very possible to me that in the near future, we will be faced with a very difficult decision to either stop gathering in person in order to comply with the mandates or to gather inside and not be in compliance with the mandates. Now, I know that no matter what decision that we make on this, there will be those who disagree with that decision. And some of those will disagree with a lot of strong emotion. That is why I had hoped to avoid addressing you on this topic. But in light of the events of this week, I've decided it's time to let you know of our decision on this matter if we are forced to make it. Still the slight hope that we don't have to make it, but if we're forced to make it, uh, I thought it would be best for you to know how we're thinking on this, so you can do your thinking. So I'm going to tell you our decision as best as we understand it first, and then I'm going to explain the thought process that brought us to this decision as the leadership of Seabreeze. Now, the risk of telling you the decision up front is that if you disagree with this decision, you're going to check out, and you're not going to listen to anything I say after that. So I ask that if you disagree with this decision, that you hear me out and you prayerfully consider what I have to say. So I'm getting ready to tell you the decision, and before I say it, please, no cheers, no groans. Okay, that doesn't help. 
with the cause of unity. No cheers, no groans. Here's the decision. We have decided that we will continue to gather in person on Sundays. If we can do that outside, great. But if we can't meet outside, we will go inside, even if it violates the mandates. Now, we would continue to do this as safely as we can. We will continue to ask everyone while on campus to either social distance or wear a face covering. And we will continue to provide all of the online and other campus viewing options that we have for as long as we can. Now, before I explain my thinking, let me first tell you what I'm not saying. Can I get the wind piece for this thing? Or is, is it gone? Yeah, it's gone. I'm here. Is, it, is the wind too bad in the speakers? You guys okay? All right. It's just in my head. I'll keep going then. We'll fix that for the second service. So let me tell you, first of all, what I'm not saying. I am not saying that COVID is no big deal. There, of course, is a lot of mystery surrounding COVID, and there are even more opinions surrounding what should be done related to COVID. I don't know if you noticed this, but three weeks ago, the Orange County Health website that reports daily cases and positivity rates and hospitalizations and even deaths, just three weeks ago, that website reported a death of negative one. My wife noticed it first and showed it to me and said, what do you think that means? I said, well, it, it appears we've had our first confirmed resurrection here in Orange County. <laughs> but of course, that was not the case. The Orange County Register said they'd reached out to the Orange County Health Department to get clarification on what negative one meant. I never did hear what it meant, but I know what it means. You know what it means. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of errors that have been compiled over time, and so I'm sure there was some mistake in the reporting in the earlier days, and so this was a correction, and it showed up as a negative one on that particular day, which made it odd. And I know that in addition to the mistakes, there are, of course, agendas at work behind the scene. And there's a lot of disagreement about how this should be handled. But let me be clear, my understanding and our understanding as a church is this virus is a real threat. My wife and I have good friends who have died from COVID. My wife has a lung condition that puts her at high risk. And so my wife and I, we gather here knowing that it's a personal risk for us to do this. So I'm not saying COVID is not a big deal and we're just denying it. I'm also not saying that we're doing this to stand in opposition to our governor. That's not why we would make this decision. I believe, you may not agree with me, but I believe that he is doing what he thinks is best, even if you or I do not agree with all of his decisions. So I'm not saying COVID is not a big deal. I'm not saying... We're doing this in opposition to authority. What I am saying is that I believe that we have a reason to gather in person that is bigger than the risk of COVID, and it comes from an authority that is higher than the governor of this state. So let me say that again. I believe that we have a reason to gather that is bigger than the risk of COVID, and it comes from an authority that is higher than the governor of this state. So now let me explain the thinking on this. First, we're going to spend a little time talking about a principle that's important to understand. This is a guiding principle as we've wrestled with this decision as leadership in the church. 
Secondly, I want to talk about the two calls that need to be made. The call that we as a church need to make and the call that you as a person need to make. And then I want to wrap up with a, a warning for all of us to hear in this year of COVID. First of all, there's one principle that is very important for us to understand as we do our thinking, particularly as it relates to gathering as a church, and that is the importance of gathering, the importance of doing this. This verse has been the verse that I've wrestled with over these months, not only to understand, but to try to figure out how does this apply in this current situation. And here it is, Hebrews 10, 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, we did not meet together as a church for six months this year. So, what was missing by not gathering in person as a church during that time? Did we miss out on hearing the words of God taught out of the Bible to us every Sunday? No. That was online. Did we miss out on singing songs of worship to God? No, that was also online. Did we miss the privilege of worshiping God through the giving of our offerings? No, that actually has mostly been done online for some time now. There's only one thing that we did not get to do for six months this year. We did not get to see each other in person like this. Now, that seems like a small part of the Sunday morning pie. It seems like a small deal. But it turns out that not seeing each other is a pretty big thing to miss out on. When we first began to gather back in September out here on Center Court, I experienced, along with you, much of what we'd been missing out on. And I'll be honest, I had a hard time concentrating for those first few weeks because I was sitting up in the stand there and I kept, I could see everyone. And I kept seeing you. And I'd turn to my wife and say, is that, is that so-and-so? And every once in a while you'd look up and we'd kind of wave at each other. And it was, it was a moment of, oh, we're all still alive. We're, we're good. We're, we're still following Jesus Christ. And I had a hard time concentrating. It was like a breath of fresh air just to see all of you. And if I got the chance to talk with any of you after the service, which was a real highlight, it was even a better experience. There is a word that describes what I and many of us who began to regather back in September experienced when we started to regather. That word is, the word that's used in this verse, the word is encouragement. That's what that was. And that's what that is, encouragement. This is why the verse says, but... Let us encourage one another. The word but is a contrast word. It's in contrast to what precedes. What precedes is the statement, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. So encouragement is the opposite of not meeting together. That's because encouragement is what happens when we see each other, and discouragement is what happens when we don't. Now, of course, we can hear encouraging words at a distance. But they have their greatest power in the presence, the actual physical presence of people we know and from people we know. Now, I knew this was true. I understood this to be a fact. But I have now personally experienced it, along with many of you, thanks to COVID. And I will never forget 
the blessing that this kind of thing is because of that. Now, it turns out that encouragement is not just some kind of emotion that we feel. There is an emotional element to it, but that's not what it is at the core. There is content to it. In the three verses that precede this command to not give up meeting together, we find the three parts of encouragement. They are named, they are identified, all three of them. And like the word encouragement, each encouragement piece is preceded with these two words, let us. In fact, if you're following along and taking notes, now's when you can get engaged. I want you to circle, as we go through each of these three, circle the two words, let us. Now, why does it not say, you do this? It's because you can't do these alone. You need an us to do these. They can't be done alone. So let's look at each of them. The first one is found in verse 22, before verse 25 that I just read. Here's what it says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full, the full assurance that faith brings. So circle the two words, let us at the beginning, and then I want you to circle the word faith. Faith is an essential part of encouragement. And that's because faith allows you to see beyond the moment. The moment might be very discouraging. Oh, I can center a little bit more. The sun is moving. This will help you symmetrical people. <laughs> faith allows you to see beyond the moment. Now, faith in God is the best source of all encouragement. Faith in God allows you to tap into a plan that's bigger than the moment and the heart of God towards you, which is good. And it encourages you, even if the circumstances are discouraging. Now, faith in God, of course, is an individual decision, but it cannot be supported and grown all by itself, all alone. That's because isolation reduces the assurance of our faith. This is what it says, with the full assurance of faith. On our own, our assurance, our confidence in our faith goes from full down to empty. It's like a gas tank. It just gets drained on its own. All alone, we begin to wonder if God is real. We begin to wonder if he really can be trusted in. We're not as sure. Our assurance of our faith diminishes. But then we see others who believe. We gather here and we hear them and see them sing words of faith. And we speak with them and talk with them. And we get to hear how they are trusting God with the hard stuff in their life. And our assurance needle moves from empty back towards full. That's a big deal. So the first piece of encouragement is faith. The second is found in verse 23. This is what it says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So again, circle the two words, let us, and then circle the word hope. Hope is another key part of encouragement. That's because hope gives us the sense that there's something good in the future that we can look forward to. That helps us, again, get through a very challenging moment. 
But in isolation, hope is kind of like a, a car swerving down the road. This is why it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. It says that because our natural hope is swerving. It's like that car going, swerving down the road. And the reason is, we put our hope in this, and then it doesn't work out. So then we swerve over here, we put our hope in this, and then we put our hope in that. If you could track the hope track of most people, it would be this car just veering down the road of hope until finally that car gets out of control, ends up in the ditch, and all hope is lost. That is called discouragement. The key to an unswerving hope is to have people riding in the car with you. You know, if you're, if you're in a car and you start to swerve and there's, there's no one there, nothing said. But if you're in a car and you start to swerve, people are going to speak up. They're going to say, hey, get your eyes back on the road. I'll get the coffee for you. You drive, I'll look at the map. They'll help you stay on track. That's what happens when we gather. This gathering is a collective, hey, hey, everybody, let's get our heads back and, and engaged with the, the one hope that can keep us going straight. Stop rubbernecking it with all these false hopes. This is the one hope. But in order for that to happen, we need people in the car with us. We need to gather together. Otherwise, we'll get distracted from the one true hope there is. So faith is a part of encouragement. Hope is a part of encouragement. Now the last one, verse 24 of Hebrews 10, says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So circle the two words, let us again, and then circle the word love. Love is the third part of encouragement. We need to be loved, and we need to love. If we are not loved, and if we do not love, we get discouraged. So in isolation, love takes a huge hit. The two elements that support love, as it says here, is we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's in the presence of each other that we, we have to deal with each other and we have to make progress in love. And it's in the presence of each other that we have a chance to figure out what might we do in terms of good deeds. How might we actually serve each other? But at a distance, it's much harder to spur each other on towards love and good deeds because it's really difficult to know what words of encouragement would really help someone and what good deeds would be of most help. Now, technology is amazing, and I've been so grateful for all that we've been able to do online. But it cannot replace the kind of spurring toward love and good deeds that occurs face-to-face, -face, up close, in person. So, here's the net effect of not meeting. The longer we go without meeting together, the weaker our faith will get, the dimmer our hope will grow, and the more likely it will be that we will stop moving forward in love. Let me say that again. The longer we go without meeting together in person, the weaker our faith will get, the dimmer our hope will grow, and the more likely it is that we will stop moving forward in love. Now, this virus is a big deal. But I would say that the hit to our faith, our hope, and our love is a much bigger deal 
long term. That brings us to the second category I want to talk about. There are two calls then that need to be made in light of this principle. And they both have the same question. When are we giving up on gathering? When are we not doing what this verse says? And we all have to make that call. It's a call that needs to be made. Let me define what a call is. A call, a judgment call, is a decision that you have to make in a complex environment. What that means is the decision isn't immediately obvious. You have to take the principles that apply, and you just have to do your best to figure out what God wants you to do, and then you just got to make the call. And there are two calls to make, because the decision of whether or not to meet together has two sides to it. First of all, the church has to decide to gather, and then you, as an individual, you have to decide whether or not you're going to join us. Now, this verse, to be clear, is not talking about a meeting between you and a few friends who are Christians. Now, that's great, and that's very helpful. But this verse is talking about this kind of meeting. So if we stop doing this as a church and only do church online, then you will not even have the chance to decide whether or not you're going to join us in person because we're not gathering in person. So we decide to meet at 9 a.m. on Sunday, and then you have to decide whether or not you're going to join us. Those are the two sides of the gathering coin. Now, you make your personal decision every single week. Always have. So if you're not meeting with us today, if you're viewing me online, are you in violation of this command in Hebrews 10.25 to not give up meeting together? No, I don't think you are. I mean, it, it's just not practical to say that this verse means that you need to be here every single Sunday without exception. It's just not rational or practical to say that's what it means. I mean, what if you're sick? Even before COVID, we would say, please stay home and get well. Don't, don't come here and get us infected. What if you've scheduled a well-earned vacation? We would say, enjoy your vacation. We look forward to seeing you when you come back. So this isn't an every single Sunday without exception command. But if you continue not to gather, then at some point you've crossed the line and you've given up on gathering. The big question, of course, is when? When have you crossed that line? I mean, it's probably not week one. Like I said, it's, I wouldn't say it's week two or even week four. But, but what if you haven't gathered together for an entire year? Well, that's starting to be a problem. I don't know for sure, but I think it would depend on the situation. That's why I believe this verse isn't specific. It says, don't give up on this. It doesn't say the frequency. It says, don't give up on this. Everyone needs to make a call in light of their own situation, whether they're going to gather on a particular Sunday or not. Now, we are all in this situation together called COVID, but we all have different personal situations. Some are at higher risk than others. So for us as the church, on that side of the decision coin, was it wrong to stop gathering in person in March? I don't think it was wrong at all. I mean, we didn't know much about the virus at that point. We didn't really know much about how to mitigate the risks. There's still a lot to learn, but we know a lot more now. And at that time, if you remember, I mean, I think we all thought this was going to be temporary. We're going to flatten the curve and then... On we'd go. 
So our call back then in March was to stop meeting in person and do the best we could online. The question now for us as a church is, so how long should we do this? I mean, is three months too long? How about six? How about a year? How about two years? Given our personal situations as individuals, we need to check in with God and we need to make the call. And hear me on this, we have to respect the calls that other people make even if we disagree with their call. And we have to make this decision as a church. On the you decide whether to gather side of the gathering coin, you've always had to make that call every single week. But on the we decide as a church whether or not to meet side of the gathering coin, we have never had to make that call in our entire history. There's never been a time where we've wrestled like we have with so many weeks. Should we gather? Should we not gather? Where should we gather? This year, we've, ne- we've never had to do this thinking before this year. So how long, again, for us as a church, on that side of the gathering coin, how long is too long? I think that's for every church to decide, given their situation and their understanding of what God wants them to do. The command is to not give up meeting together. The idea behind that word is don't go passive on this. Don't just check out on this. This gathering thing is at the core of who we are as a church. In fact, when Jesus decided to name us, to call us his church, he used a Greek word that literally means to gather. So that's it. It's not not just, hey, this is part of our programming options. No, this is at the core of who we are. We gather in the name of Jesus Christ. And Christians throughout history have gathered at tremendous risk to themselves. That's how important this is. I'm not saying you need to do this. I'm just saying it's not the first time Christians have defied authority and gathered at great risk to themselves. Actually, the majority of Christians throughout history have done that. This is all new to us, though. You see, the challenge for me as your pastor is this verse is not an executive order from a governor, which I take very seriously. This is a verse in the Bible. And as followers of Christ, we believe the Bible contains the actual words of God spoken to us. So what that means is this order comes straight from the top. So we've put tremendous effort into being able to meet together in person so that those who make the call to join us can join us. And we've worked hard to do this in light of our current situation, which is why, as I said earlier, we continue and will continue to ask you to wear face coverings or social distance while you're on campus. And that is why it is our call that we will do everything we can to meet in person to keep that option available. We really do not want to defy our governor, but if we must, we will. I hope and I pray it won't come to that. But if it does, hear me, you don't have to join us. That is your call. You wrestle with the principle. You wrestle with your situation. You go before God and you decide. And whatever your call is, we'll trust you on that call. Again, a call is a decision you make in a complex environment, which means there are many options, but there's no clear right and wrong. It's, well, it's like a 
quarterback in football calling an audible from the line. He's making a call, a play call. The play clock is running down. He's got to decide. Should he run the ball, pass the ball? What's the right call? Well, everybody who doesn't have to make that call usually has a strong opinion about what that call should be. But the very nature of calls is you have to make your call (laughs) and we have to make our call. I mean, you might know exactly what we should do as a church if we face this difficult call. And you just might know exactly what other people should do with their call. Turns out, it's harder to make your own call than to try to make it for somebody else. When you try to make the call for somebody else, we have a phrase for that out of football. It's called Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, Monday morning, we criticize the calls that were made on Sunday's football game. And we've all done this. Let's be honest. We all Monday morning quarterback. But you know, it looks really different in the game on Sunday, in the real game, when the play clock is running down and the defense keeps shifting. It would be easy for me as a pastor if this verse said, do not give up meeting together for any more than three months. Great. Now I know exactly how to apply this verse. But it doesn't say that. And I think it's because this, this verse must be applied over thousands of years in all kinds of situations. So we have to make a call. And it is okay if you disagree with the call we're making as a church if it comes to that. But if we do have to make this call, I, I want to ask a favor of you. Do not leave the team because of this call. COVID will pass. I know it doesn't feel like it, but it will. Do not let a temporary situation like COVID destroy something that will last longer and is far more important. That brings me now to the last point. There's a warning that I want to speak to you that I ask you to hear. And here's the warning. Do not be idle on this. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So as a pastor, this is describing the three kinds of words that I try to speak over the course of all of these Sundays together to you. I am called to speak words of warning to you, to speak words of encouragement to you, and to speak words of help to you. So let me put on my pastor warning hat and simply say, don't be idle. Let me say a little more strongly, stop being lazy, if you're being lazy. Maybe you're not. And I'm talking about your faith. It applies to other areas, but I'm talking about your faith. Don't let 2020 be the great year of coasting spiritually for you. Don't go idle on this. The reason I want to issue this warning is because we grow as Christians by being willing to do the hard thing. But here's the thing that I've observed. In 2020, if you don't want to do something, you've been given a great no-questions-asked excuse. All you have to say is COVID. And then you don't have to do anything. 
I know this because I've done this. I, for example, I'll just give you one example. You know, I've gotten into discouragement and straight-up self-pity. And, of course, my wife recognizes when I spiral in self-pity, and she will often ask, what's wrong? And early on, at one point, I just looked at her and just simply said, COVID. And she nodded in understanding and left me to my pity party. And I thought, wow, this might really work. I, I can think of uses for this. And I have noticed, I'm not for sure, because you can't look inside someone's heart, but I've noticed over and over again, a lot of times people just kind of, when you're trying to say, well, no, why don't you want it? COVID, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As I thought on that day, this could be a helpful word. Of course, the real reason why I was wallowing in self-pity is because I didn't want to do the work of taking my thoughts and my emotions captive like Ethan had spoken about last Sunday. COVID is the magic. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do, Cart. That, I believe, is more deadly than the virus because the virus can only kill your body. But idleness will erode your soul. Jesus made it very clear. Do not fear only what will kill the body. Fear what will kill the soul. Idleness will kill your soul. So it's your call if you decide not to join us in person and join us online. That's completely fine. But I would say if you make that call, don't go passive in your faith. Don't go passive as you watch. I mean, if you join us live at 9 o'clock, there's a chat room. Maybe you've never done a chat room before in your life, but try it. Make a few comments. Get involved in a conversation. Maybe after the message, sometime on, that, on Sunday or that week, call someone here at Seabreeze. Talk with them about the message and listen to how they're processing it. I guess what I, w- I would say is as you make your calls, do not give up on meeting together. Don't give up on this. Hebrews 10:25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? The day is your last day here on planet earth either through your death or because Jesus Christ returns. What this is saying is this is not a matter of passing concern. This is a matter of great urgency because you don't know how much time you have. I mean, maybe you've got, should I go on Sunday and gather with the church? Maybe you've got hundreds of those decisions left. Maybe you've only got two. You don't know. But You don't want to coast on this. So make your call, but do not give up on this. This is a matter of great urgency. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you you for the clarity of your word and how it guides us and is a compass to us. As David said, it's a light unto our feet. In the darkness, it shows us just in time, turn-by-turn instructions. And in this year, we have needed so much in the moment, turn-by-turn guidance, and we thank you for the power of your word to do that. 
So I ask that you would continue to give me and the leaders of this church wisdom as we face the ever-changing circumstances and the calls that need to be made. And I pray for those who are part of this church that you would help them wrestle with the difficult situation they find themselves in. And you would be clear on what call you want them to make. And then I pray that you would help us to treat each other kindly even if we make different calls. I pray that you would maintain the unity of this church through the stress of this season. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.